Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you are currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at either our 10 a.m. or 4 p.m. service. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this great message from Sunday service. Why don't you put your hands together and welcome him today. Thank you. You can take your seats. Thank you. It is good to be here this morning in the throbbing metropolis of North Lakes, in the greatest church, easily in Brisbane. Don't you believe that? Now, it's exciting to be here this morning. I'm actually here with Jonathan, my son, who's in the kids program. And so uh, Elisa's not with me today. She had a surgery earlier this week, and so she's still recovering from that. It's all good, uh, but she's not with me today, but was desperately disappointed not to be here because uh, standing on the front row today kind of felt like old times to have Paula here. James is not here, but obviously having Paula here and with Dan and Joe as well and with Kim Johnson here, and I saw some other people running around before. I'm like, I know that person. I know that person. And so it's exciting to be able to be here today. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. And uh, whenever we get the chance to be able to preach God's Word, that's always an exciting time. But today, especially to be able to do that in this church and for Pastor James and Paula as well. Some of you have been a part of this church for some time. You know that for two decades, this church has been in this general area, but bumping in and out of school halls. And it is amazing to think that after two decades of bouncing around in school halls, with senior leaders like Pastor James and Paula, within just a couple of years, you're in this facility. Uh, For those who are doing the bump in and bump out, you know that's an amazing thing. Everybody else gets to appreciate the air conditioning in the foyer, but if you're a part of the bump in, bump out team, there was no air conditioning in the truck. There was no air conditioning when you're setting out the chairs. There's no air conditioning when you're rolling leads. And so that's a significant thing. But you know, this is just really the beginning because right now you're, you're leasing this facility, but there'll come a time when for your church, you won't be the, the borrower, you'll be the lender. And so you'll have people coming to you, leasing property and facilities off you because you're in such prime positions right across this area. So, so if you're a part of this church for some time, you know how exciting this is. If you've just joined this church recently, stick around because there's some good things happening. If you're just here for the first time, well, truth is it's my first Sunday here as well, but this is a good place to be. You've landed in a great spot, and so, uh, and so it's good to be able to be here today. Elise isn't with me, but I did bring with me today her book, which actually launched in November um, last year. In fact, Elise has been writing this for the last two years, and, and to be really serious about it, if you've got a promise from God that's outstanding, that maybe even you've come to the point of thinking, do you know what, that was just me thinking that, it's not going to come to pass then I would encourage you today to buy this book and let the story of faith that's in here and the convictions that God instilled in us to be something of a lifeboat to you as well. And so so my wife wrote this book um, after five miscarriages and a whole series of things that happened. God, in the most spectacular way, reminded us He had not forgotten about us. And so this is more than just a story of our little girl, Sophie. There's a whole lot of stuff in there because in a period of nine months, God gave us two new cars. He sold a house that wasn't on the market and we had a miraculous child all within this one nine-month period. And so this is part of that story. To be honest, I had nothing to do with the book whatsoever. Um, In fact, I got involved right at the end and there was a publisher and an editor that's here in Australia who helped Elise do it. 
and I got into trouble because I was making uh, marks towards the end of the editing process, and they're like, you're not allowed to make marks this late in the editing process. But I was just checking that the stories were accurate and true. And so, um, and so to be honest, I was reading the book uh, right at the end of the process, and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, of course you're gonna write that because I know the end of the story, you know, Sophie is born, and that's, that's, you know, of course you would say that, but as you read this book, and as you will read it, uh, you realize that actually the things that Elisa's writing, she's writing two years before Sophie's conceived. And, uh, and so there's a lot of scripture in here. We were a little nervous about how much scripture and conviction was in it, uh, but that was our part of our story. This is what God did. And to be honest, the feedback we've had from non-Christians uh, about the book has actually been even more significant than the feedback we've had from believers. And so that's been really cool. A few really cool stories of even people who've been messaging friends saying, hey, did you realize there's a prayer in the back? You should read the prayer in the back. I mean, I didn't know. So, so that's been really, really cool. So these are available. Elisa's not here, but you'll get to know her at least a little bit uh, through the book. These are $20 there at the back. I'm gonna put that down because every time I speak in a church, I always forget to do that. And Elisa says, why don't you just say it at the start? Then you don't have to worry about it again. So now I've done that, that's done. If you've got your Bible with you today, would you open it up to Isaiah chapter 43? Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to read together today. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 18. This is what the Bible says. It says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Can we just pray and then we're gonna to begin today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray today that we might leave this place different. Lord, challenged, inspired, encouraged today. Holy Spirit, that you'd open our ears, that Lord, you'd open our heart. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. You know, some people live their entire life through the lens of the old thing. Man, I remember the way things used to be. That was so much better. I remember the songs that we used to sing. They were just, they were more anointed. I, I remember how things used to be. And, and some people live their entire life completely through the lens of the old thing. Everything they talk about is the old thing. Whenever they go back to remembering things, it's always putting themselves as the hero in the story in this old story that gets told over and over and over again. Some people live their whole life that way. They live their life through the prism of the old thing. Sometimes Elise looks at me and she says, Dan, I, why can't it be like when we were dating? When we were dating, like you couldn't take your eyes off me. Like you would stare, you would stop at a red light and, and you would be staring at me and you would miss the green light because you were so captivated by me. And I'd say, Elise, we're not living in those old memories. We're making brand new memories today. You know, some people live their whole life that way. They live their whole life through the lens of the old thing. And the problem with that is that in your remembering of those old things, things were never as good as you remember them. Have you ever noticed that in all the stories you tell from the past, you're always the hero in the story? They're never as good as you remember. But do you know, equally is true. Things are never as bad as you remember they were either. And so some people, they live their whole life that way. They live their life constantly through the prism of the old thing. Some people, they don't live that way. They live their life through the prism of the same thing. Their life is just on repeat, just the same thing over and over and over and over again. William Churchill said, um, Winston Churchill said, uh, life is just one damn thing after another. And that kind of sums up the way they live their life. 
You could leave and come back, and in 10 years, they'll still be talking about the same things. They'll still be complaining about the same things. They'll still have the same relational tensions and issues going on because their life is just the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And even of people of faith live this way because they treat their life like it's some billiard ball on the table of life that's being shuttered about by faith. They might call it faith, but really what they're referring to is not faith, it's fatalism. You know, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. You know, if it's God's will, you know, that, that door will open. You know, well, I won't have to do anything because if it's God's will, then he'll just, you know, he'll find a way because he's miraculous and he's sovereign. And, and, and what they're really talking about is not faith. It almost sounds like faith, but it's pseudo to faith. It's not faith. It's fatalism because their life is just on repeat. It's the same thing over and over. Some people live their life through the old thing. Some people live their life focused on the same thing. Some people live their life constantly and perpetually looking at the next thing. They're always looking at how do they incrementally move their life forward. And so they look for this get-rich-quick get rich scheme and they look for this that next opportunity. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with the desire to move things forward. But, but some people, that's how they live their whole life. They're constantly trying to maneuver and, and climb the ladder and find the next thing and, and look for that next opportunity and, and push everyone else out of the way to get to that next thing because their desperate desire is not to live the old way or even just the same way. They, they, want, they have a healthy desire, but it's being outworked in an unhealthy way. But one of the things you have to understand about God is that God, by His very nature, is not a God who is trapped in the old thing. He was present there, but He's not confined there. He's not the God of just the same thing over and over. He's not even a God who's trying to maneuver Himself about to the next thing. God, by His very definition, is a God of the new thing. That God, by His definition, He's not looking for the old, the same, or the next. He's the God of the new thing. That's why Isaiah declares, he says, God's speaking, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you believe that? That God actually wants to do a new thing. That God wants to do a new thing in this church. That God wants to do a new thing in your life. That God wants to do a new thing in your business, in your family, in your marriage. Why would you settle for the old thing or even just the same thing or even just look for the incremental next step, next thing, when God is actually a God of the new thing? God, by His definition, is a God who brings new things into being. Light didn't know it was light until God called it. Because God, by His definition, brings out of nothing something that did not exist before. A brand new thing that didn't even realize its own substance. That's why Jesus is the administrator of a new covenant, not the next covenant, a new covenant. That's why when a person says yes to Jesus, as people will do today in this service, they don't become a slightly better version of their old self. No, they become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus because God by His definition is a God who is interested in new things. And so my whole responsibility in being here in this service today and at four o'clock is to stir you up to begin to believe that God actually wants to do something new in you. It's the new that brings innovation. It's the new that challenges the status quo. It's the new that brings the unexpected into reality, which is in the realm of faith. You know, Henry Ford was once asked, why the motor car? And his response was classic. He, he turned to the reporter and he said, you know, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. But while everyone else was dreaming of trying to breed faster horses, Henry Ford was looking at a way of solving transportation in a way that nobody else was thinking about. He wasn't looking for the next thing, a faster horse. 
He was looking for a completely new solution to a very old problem. And so he invented a motor car. Come on, it's the new thing that challenges the status quo. It brings the unexpected into reality. A few years ago, Elise and I uh, climbed Sydney Harbour Bridge, which if you ever get the chance to do this, you should absolutely do it. And we're climbing Sydney Harbour Bridge and it takes about three hours and we've got a tour guide who's showing us around as we're, as we're climbing over different parts of the bridge. And one of the things that the tour guide tells us about that we found just so fascinating is that when the bridge was started in 1926, the Sydney Harbour Bridge to this day is still the largest bridge of its kind in the world. It's not the longest, but in overall size, it's the largest because it's so broad, it's got 12 lanes. When construction started in 1926 on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, there were exactly six cars registered in New South Wales. It wasn't finished till 1932. For the longest time, they didn't actually put any lines on the bridge because it was literally impossible to hit anyone else. <laughs> After a while, they put one dotted line down the middle just to separate the traffic that was going north and south. You know, today, 180,000 cars go across that bridge every single day. What is that? That's people in 1926 dreaming and having a vision, not for the old thing or even for the same thing or even just for the next thing. They were dreaming a brand new thing that no one else had thought about yet. Come on, God is in the business of bringing new things into reality. Why would you settle for the way things are? Why would you settle for your marriage the way it is? Yeah, this is pretty good. Why would you settle for pretty good when it could be the best it's ever been? Come on, God wants to do a new thing. And so our verse today is forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I wanna to speak to you this morning from this subject, how to possess a new God thing. How to possess a new God thing. Here's the first thing you gotta do if you're gonna possess something new in God. You've gotta begin by changing your focus. Verse 18 says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. If you're ever gonna possess a new thing in God, then the first thing you've gotta do is you've gotta forget the former things. As good as they are, you cannot depend on past victories to sustain you. When God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Israel's seen God do amazing things in the past. They've seen God deliver them out of Egypt. They've seen God guide them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They've seen miraculous provision in the desert. They've seen God go before them and conquer the land of Canaan, starting with the city of Jericho, the largest and most fortified city that they would take in that promised land. And, and so they've seen God do amazing things in the past. But when Isaiah is prophesying, they're in captivity and all of those past victories are doing absolutely nothing to bring them liberty. All those things were great that God had done. They were amazing, don't take that away. But, but those things are actually not helping us right now because right now, whether we like it or not, we need God not to remind us of the old thing. We need God to do something new right now. And so those past victories, as good as they are, they can't sustain us. They might encourage us, but they can't sustain us because we need God to do a new miracle right now. We need release of the captives right now. We need God to repeat perhaps something He's done, but maybe in a different way. But we need that now. If you're ever gonna possess a new thing in God, the first thing you've gotta do is you've gotta stop depending on past victories to sustain you. You know, one of the dangerous places in your walk of faith is after God has answered a prayer. Because if you're not careful, you'll slip into this lull where you just begin to coast on what God did last and miss what God's trying to do next. 
The question isn't what God has done in the past. The question is, what is God doing right now? And so forget the former things, as good as they are. But God says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. So you can't allow past victories to sustain you, but you also can't allow past failures to possess you either. You know, the account of Abraham's life does not begin with Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. It actually begins with his father, Terah. And when you read the last part of chapter 11 of Genesis, you realize that there's almost like this indication that the call that Abraham followed to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to the land of Canaan wasn't actually for Abraham first, it was for his father. Terah has three sons, Abraham is one of them. His two other boys, one of them, Lot's father, dies while Terah is still alive. And so Terah takes himself and Abraham and Sarah and Lot and he sets out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And he gets literally halfway and then he stops. The place where he stops is a place called Haran. It's literally halfway. It's the name of his dead son. It's almost as if Terah is setting out on his journey to go to the land of Canaan and he gets to the land of Haran and the land is so filled with memories, he settles there because he can see that field and he remembers that's where he taught his son to run. And he sees that tree and he remembers that's where he taught his son to climb the tree. And he sees the forest and he remembers that's where he taught his son to be able to hunt. And the land is so filled with memories that, that Terah actually settles in the land and the Bible says that he lives for a couple hundred more years and he dies there. You know, one of the reasons why some people don't see God do amazing things in their life is not because he doesn't want to do them, but because they are too quick to settle for a lifetime in what God only ever intended to be a season. Come on, I'm telling you, don't settle. You know, when faith ignites in a person's soul, it begins to calibrate their heart towards what's possible. And the thing that stops faith from really beginning to take root in a person's life is to settle. I'm telling you, don't settle. Don't allow past victories to sustain you. Don't allow past values to possess you. Just, just don't settle. I would love to tell you that in life, you get what you believe for. But that's not true. In life, you don't get what you believe for. You get what you settle for. The minute you say, I'm not settling for this any longer, you've crossed a threshold that faith now can take hold. We say, do you know what? No, enough is enough. I'm not just gonna allow this to keep going. I'm not settling for this any longer. God, I need you to do something new right now. When you say, I'm not settling for this any longer, you've just crossed a threshold of faith. If you're ever gonna possess something new in God, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna change your focus. Do you remember just before the Last Supper, what Jesus did with the disciples? He washed their feet, which really seems like a strange thing for Jesus to do when he is preparing for the Passover and then ultimately to go to the cross for you and I. It seems like an odd thing for Jesus to do, but it's not when you consider that God was about to do a new thing. And so God did something new because he was about to do something new on the earth. God was about to go to the cross. Jesus was about to establish his church. And so he washes the disciples' feet. In the first century, you understand this, in the first century, people walked everywhere. And so when they went from one place to the next, that one of the things they'd do, especially when they came into a fine home, is they would have their feet washed so that the dirt and the dust of where they'd been didn't contaminate where they were. 
that they, would, they wouldn't bring that pollution with them into that new place. And so when they came into the home of, of a fine person or to honour that person, they would come in and they would have their feet washed so that where they are wasn't contaminated by where they'd been. It was almost like saying, do you know what? It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. None of that matters now. Come in. Jesus washes the disciples' feet because He's about to do something new. They've got to wash off the dust of their past experience because what they're about to establish right now in the church is a brand new thing. It's God's plan on the planet and He needs them to wash. He doesn't need their past experience to contaminate where they're going. He's about to do a brand new thing. Here's the second thing you've got to do if you're ever going to possess a new thing in God. You've got to make preparations. Verse 19 says this, it says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. You know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not started. Can you imagine how silly it would be if when a farmer sowed his seed into the ground, he went back into the house and cursed the fact that he'd lost his seed? When a farmer puts his seed in the ground, you can't see it for a time. And to the naked and the untrained eye, it seems like he's lost it. He's thrown it away. But the farmer doesn't go back into his house and begin to curse the seed. What he actually does is he goes into his shed and he begins to sharpen the plough. Because he knows that even though I can't see it right now, underneath that soil, that seed is breaking open and and it'll begin to sprout. You'll begin to see it. You can't see it right now, but that doesn't mean nothing's happening. And just because you've prayed and it looks like on the surface nothing's changed, that doesn't mean God's not doing something. It just means you can't see it yet. And so you'd be just as foolish to go back into your house and curse God than than actually just to go to the the shed and start to sharpen the plough because you know, even though I can't see it, God is working. And unlike me who requires rest, God can keep at this even when I'm asleep. And so the new thing that God has is totally His initiative, but it requires my initiative to prepare for it if I'm ever going to possess it. That's where faith is activated. Come on, you know what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Which means people who are acting in faith are acting like something's come to pass, but as yet that looks like it's totally impossible. Come on, it's faith that will cause you to buy a suit even though you haven't been given a callback for the interview yet. Because you're acting as if something's come to pass, which as yet still seems impossible. It's faith that will cause you to buy a pram even though you haven't fallen pregnant yet. Because you're operating in faith. Come on, it's faith that will cause you to book the restaurant even though you haven't asked the girl out yet. That's operating in faith. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. When you begin to act in faith, you begin to do things as if they've come to pass, which has yet still seemed totally impossible. We had our son, Jonathan, he's six years old, he'll be seven in June. When Elise and I were dating, the, the, she was working for a cardiac surgeon in the university and he was best friends with a guy who was a leading gynecologist. And Elise was having this pain every month and these two professional guys were talking to each other and AJ Rane is his name, said, come have your staff member come and see me. I think I know what she's got. And so... And so Elise goes in, we're dating at the time. She, he says, if you wake up and there's one incision in your stomach, it means I was wrong, I didn't find anything. But if you find more than one, it means I've found what I think you've got. She wakes up from her surgery with three incisions in her stomach and she's got endometriosis. And he says, actually, it's really quite extensive. You guys need to start trying to have children right now. And so we're like, well, actually we're dating. So we're actually not trying to do that right at this present stage. <laughs> 
I, I happened to be preaching in a church in air and, and this, this 90 year old South Sea Islander lady, dear lady comes up to me at the end of the service. I'd been there the year earlier in preaching and I'd said, you know, sometimes there's thing that takes us by God by surprise, but there's nothing that takes God by surprise. Well, a year later, I'm in the same church and this lady comes up to me and she says, I remember you telling us this story. I wanna pray for you that you would take a blessing back to your wife and that you'd have a child. And I don't know why I told her this, but maybe because she was 90 years old and a South Sea Islander lady that seemed really sweet. But I'm like, well, actually, we made the decision last night to go off the pill. We fell pregnant with Jonathan in literally those seven days from that lady praying for us, which is actually impossible because of the drug treatment and stuff that Elise had been on following her surgery. We didn't even really realize at the time how much of a miracle Jonathan was. We just thought God's healed us. There's nothing here for us to worry about. We moved to the Sunshine Coast and, and we're on our first youth camp and I'm supposed to fly north. And on the last day of the camp, Elise says, something's not right. And I said, well, if you don't want me to go, I'll stay. I'll just tell the guys they can look after it. I fly to Townsville. I drive to Mission Beach. I arrive at the camp and Elise calls me and says, you need to come home right now. So I see the boys, I'm like, guys, the camp looks like it's gonna be fantastic. Have a great time. I get back in the car, drive two hours south and fly back. And we have our first miscarriage. We'd never had one. It was ironic to be looking after everybody else's children, but losing our own at the same time. That happened another five times to us. And on the one hand, we're leading a church and everyone's like, man, this is amazing. Look what's happening in the church. And there's all these goals that we've set and it seems like things are moving ahead and there's renovations that are happening. Everyone's really excited. But have you ever been in a place in your life where on one hand, it feels like, man, God, you are showing off here. And in the other area, you're like, God, where are you here? That those two things could happen at the same time. And so nobody knows this private battle is going on. In the middle of all of that, we felt like God gave us a promise for a little girl. In fact, we actually, we didn't know what else to do, but we needed to act in faith. So we bought a bedroom sign for her, Sophie. We had pastors and leaders say to us, you know, maybe you should just be happy with the child God gave you. And we would say, you're right, we are grateful for him. And they'd say, well, maybe you should just look at adoption. And we'd say, look, everything you're saying to us makes a lot of sense. And we would do it, except we cannot shake the fact that we really feel like God's promised us this little girl. We had a friend in South Africa who sent us a message and actually said, um, God, she didn't know any of this story. She said, God's shown me a vision of you, Elise, with a little girl and her name means wisdom. A few months later, we contacted her back and we said, do you know that, that the name that we love is actually the name Sophie, that name means wisdom? And she said, I'm so sorry. God actually told me Sophie, but I felt like that was, that was, too, that was too direct and, and I wasn't sure if I was right. So I didn't actually say the name. I just said it meant wisdom. We go and meet with a guy who is the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group. We're not even supposed to see him. It's kind of miraculous we ever get to see him. And he basically says to us, with all of your, with all of your travel and everything else, um, you've, you've really got one shot here in this year before I retire to be able to go and do IVF. And so we're preparing to go and do this round of IVF. About three weeks before we're supposed to go, we go and see him. And because Elise wakes up one morning and she says, I think I'm pregnant again. So we call him and we meet him at the Watkins Medical Center in, in Brisbane. And he says, look, there's only one way to be able to tell. Um, we'll do a blood test right now and I'll do a scan for you. Remember, this guy is about to retire. He's a part of the, he founded the Queensland Fertility Group. This is literally all he's done for his professional career. He knows what he's doing, right? He, he takes a scan of Elise in his, in his offices and he says to us, 
He says, guys, I'm really sorry. This all happens in 10 minutes. He says, guys, I'm really sorry, but you guys aren't pregnant. All of your at-home tests will come back positive. All of your hormones will be inflated, but you're actually not pregnant. And he shows us on the screen. He says, there's the sack, but there's no baby in there. So all your at-home tests will be positive, but you're actually not pregnant. It's like a pseudo-pregnancy. Elise bursts into tears on the table and says, you're wrong. You have to rescan me. This is the founder of the Queensland Fertility Group, right? He's got 300 doctors that relate to him. He's like, all right, to sort of appease the fact that there's a crying woman in his office, he gets the stuff back out again and he starts to scan and he says, guys, I'm so sorry. There's your baby, there's the heartbeat. And that's our little girl, Sophie. I'm telling you this because what I'm sharing with you today is not something I read in a book. This is something we had to live. That it would have been very easy to settle and say, do you know what? We should just be happy with what we've got. But we could not shake the fact that we had a promise from God. So much so that we had a bedroom sign that every time we had a miscarriage, we would take it out. We would say, God, you promised. God, you promised. When we finished our last service at, at Calvary, we're standing on the front row. Our kids were with us. They went in the kids program because we were gonna be on stage later in the service. And they were playing the song, The Blessing. And for whatever reason, Sophie, whenever she hears that song, she's not even two, she'll be two at Easter. She was born on the Easter weekend. When, when, she, when she hears that song, she, she puts her hands out and she closes her eyes. And someone on the, on the edge of the stage got a photo of Elise and Sophie standing there and we sent it to our friends in South Africa. They sent us back a voice message crying saying, that's the vision I saw four years ago of Elise and that little girl standing at the front of a church worshiping God together. If you're ever gonna possess a new thing in God, that the second thing you've gotta do, you've gotta change your focus, but you've also got, got to begin to prepare in faith. Noah got a word from God because God was about to do something new. He was about to cause water to come from the sky, which is something that had never happened before. But because God is a God of new things, just when you think you've got him fully worked out, he finds a new way of doing it. And so Noah has his morning devotions one day and God speaks to him and he goes downstairs to where his wife's preparing him breakfast, which is what all wives do, prepare their husband's breakfast. And, um, and, uh, and, and she says, hey, hey, Noah, how's your day going? Have you ever noticed how wives do this? Like sometimes I'll wake up and Lisa's like, hey, Dan, how's your day going? I'm like, I don't know, babe, it's literally just started. What have you been thinking about? I don't know. I've just, it was a dream one minute and then I woke up, there was nothing for a period of time because I'm a man and I can have periods of time where there's nothing I'm thinking about. And, and so Mrs. Noah's like, so, so, so you had your devotion? Did, did God speak to you about anything? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, he, he shared something with me. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me what God said. Come on, Noah. Don't hold out on me, tell me. Well, you know, um, he said um, that I need to build uh, an ark. <laughs> but, that's awesome, honey. What's an ark? It's like a really giant boat made out of gopher wood. <laughs> That's really lovely, sweetheart. Why would we need a boat? We live in the middle of the desert. I don't know, because um, God said it's going uh, to ruin or uh, run. No, rain is what he called it. He said it's going to rain. <laughs> That's awesome, honey. What's rain? It's, uh, it's water from the sky. Noah is building his ark. It takes him 120 years to build the ark. He's not building it on his own. He's building it with his sons. Which you can imagine how that conversation goes. 
Dad, I don't want to build the ark this weekend. Boys, well, you're 55 years old and living under this roof, you will build this ark with me. <laughs> it takes him 120 years to build the ark. Noah and all of his family and all the animals go in and seven days later the rain comes. Which makes me wonder, was it just that Noah happened to finish the ark in time? Or that God wouldn't allow the rain to come until Noah had finished? Like if Noah had taken 140 years, would the rain have come later? Or if Noah had finished in 90 years, would the rain have come sooner? Which makes me wonder another thing. What is it that you and I have delayed God from doing because we haven't taken the time to prepare for it? If you're going to possess a new thing in God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to change your focus. But the second thing you've got to do is you've got to make preparation. Here's the last thing you've got to do here. You've got to open your heart. Listen to what the verse says. Verse 19, do you not perceive it? That word perceive in the Hebrew is actually a word which means to know. Not in the intellectual sense, but in the fully giving of yourself sense. Like Adam knew Eve and they conceived and bore a child. There was a lot more than knowing going on there. Do you understand that? Adam knew Eve. That word to perceive or to know doesn't just mean to know intellectually. It means will you fully give yourself? In other words, I'm doing a new thing. Will you embrace it? Will you fully receive it into your life? Will you hold nothing back? God was about to do a new thing with a young lady called Mary. God was about to do the Immaculate Conception. And so God was preparing to do a new thing. And so he comes, he sends an angel to this young woman, Mary. And in Luke chapter one, this is what the Bible says. The angel said to Mary, how will this happen? I've never had a man. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will cover you. And the holy child you give birth to will be called the Son of God. See your cousin Elizabeth, as old as she is, is going to give birth to a child. She was not able to have children before, but now she is in her sixth month. For God can do all things. And then Mary said, watch this. I am willing to be used of the Lord. Let it happen to me, as you have said. And the angel went away from her. The angel comes and says, you're gonna conceive and have a child. And, and Mary's got her doubts. Like she doesn't fully understand like, what do you mean? How, how's this gonna happen? And, and how am I gonna explain this? And, and Mary's not simple. Mary's smart. Like, like Mary's not jumping in like hook, line and sinker here. She, she's like, whoa, 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 I've got my own doubts here. Like, and, 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 and how is, how's Joseph gonna react to this? Like, is there an angel arranged for him? And, and she understands she's living in an honour and shame society. And, and so at worst, she will be killed the minute that, that everyone realises that she's pregnant or at best, she will be shunned and she will be shamed. Her husband will probably divorce her and get rid of her and her child will grow up under that shame for the rest of her life. She realises that this is more than her reputation. This is possibly her whole life that's on the line. And yet, even with her own doubts, she says, you know what? I don't understand everything that's going on here, but if this is what God's doing, then let it be to me according to your Word. If you're ever gonna possess something new in God, you've gotta change your focus. Come on, you gotta stop settling, right? In places that God intended for a season, you can't call those things now for a lifetime. And, and, and you've gotta to begin to prepare for it. But here's the last thing you gotta do. You gotta to begin to give yourself to it. 
that you got to not hold anything back. Say, God, if you're in this, then I'm fully in it. I'm not half reserved. I'm not like one foot in both camps. God, if you're in this, then I'm fully in. I'm holding nothing back. If it's all or nothing, then I'm choosing all. That's exactly what I'm doing. Here's the last thing you got to do if you're going to possess a new thing in God. To possess a new thing in God requires a fresh and new revelation of God. In Joshua chapter five, I wanna read this too. Joshua chapter five and verse 13. Joshua is in camp. They're about to take the city of Jericho. Jericho is the largest and the most fortified city of the land in Canaan. God is gonna make a statement with this first location. And Joshua is preparing his plans for how he's gonna take Jericho. And in the middle of it, God interrupts him. Verse 13 of Joshua chapter five, it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is not an angel that appears to Joshua. In the Old Testament, there were these moments. This is one of them. They're called Christophanies. It's before the curtain was raised on Jesus's incarnation. You remember born of the Virgin Mary? Before the curtain was raised on Jesus's incarnation, he stepped out from behind the curtain, played a cameo role and went back to be revealed at the incarnation. When Jacob wrestles with a man is another one of these moments in Genesis. When you read it in word for word translations, the word man is not a lowercase m, it's an uppercase m because he's not wrestling with any man, he's wrestling with the God man, Jesus Christ. It's God who changes his name in the process of wrestling. And then, and then Jacob recognises it because he says, I call this place Peniel, saying for I saw God face to face and yet I didn't die. This is another one of those moments. Joshua is preparing his plans and the captain, the Lord's host comes to him and Joshua doesn't recognise him. He draws his sword and says, are you with us or are you with our adversaries? And the captain, the Lord's host says, I'm not with you or with your enemies. This is the plan. And Joshua gets down and he takes off his sandals and he begins to worship. How do we know this is not an angel? Because angels are very aware of the fact that they are not allowed to receive worship. They have a very stellar reminder of that because Lucifer was thrown out of heaven because he wanted to receive worship. So if a person ever tried to worship an angel, an angel would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not safe for me to you start doing that. Stand up, don't, don't. That, that's, not, that's not good. That's an occupational hazard for me, right? And yet the captain of the Lord's host does not stop Joshua. He encourages him to take off his sandals and to worship. And Joshua is standing in the presence of God and God gives him the plan of going around Jericho over those seven days in silence. But here's the part I find most amazing. There was not a person alive on the planet who knew God more than Joshua. Joshua was one of only two people to have seen God deliver them out of Egypt through miraculous signs. Only he and Caleb had seen that. Everybody else who was alive had grown up in the desert. But Joshua and Caleb had seen the plagues. They had seen God deliver them. They had seen the manna in the desert. They had seen God, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire. They had seen all of that. But Joshua more than anyone, because Joshua, remember when Moses would go up the mountain to meet with God, who went with him? Joshua. 
When Moses is coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, who meets him halfway? Joshua. Joshua and Moses are talking to each other as they come down the mountain and they're like, that sounds like it's the sound of war. And Moses says, no, that's not the sound of war. They're, they're, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Joshua would go into the tent of meeting with Moses and when Moses would have to leave because he had to attend to the needs of the people, Joshua, the Bible says, would stay and linger in the presence of God longer. If anybody knew the presence of God, it was Joshua. And yet Joshua is standing face to face with God and he can't recognise Him. How is that possible? No one knows God more than Joshua. And yet Joshua is standing with God in front of him and he can't recognise Him. Why? Because God chose to reveal Himself in a new way because He was going to do a new thing. If God had revealed Himself as a provider, Joshua would have recognised Him. He'd seen God provide in the desert. If He had revealed Himself as a deliverer, Joshua would have recognised Him. He'd seen God deliver them out of Egypt. If God had shown Himself as a healer, Joshua would have recognised Him because He'd seen God heal. But God comes as the captain of the Lord's host with sword drawn because Israel has never had to fight before. But now all of a sudden they're gonna cross the Jordan River. They're gonna have to fight for this land that God has given to them. And so God reveals Himself in a new way because they're about to do a new thing. And Joshua, the one person who knows what God's like, can't see that it's God because he's seeing God in a fresh way. Come on, if you're gonna possess something new in God, it's gonna cause you to have to go a little deeper in your own relationship with God. To say, God, I need you to show yourself to me in a way that I haven't seen before. Maybe you know God, maybe you've known Him for some time, but God wants to do something new in you and it's gonna require of you a fresh revelation. Come on, you can't depend on past victories to sustain you. Come on, they were good, but you can't live there any longer and you can't let those past failures possess you any longer either. Come on, you gotta change your focus. You gotta stop settling in what God actually meant for a season, but you've called it now for a whole lifetime. Get out of Haran. Go to Canaan. Don't settle there any longer. Come on, you've got to change your focus. You've got to begin to prepare. What is it that God's spoken to you about? What is the promise that you've laid down? What's the dream that you've said, you know, it won't come to pass. It's taken too long. Maybe I just was dreaming it all up myself. Come on, does it honour God? Was there a time in your life where you said, no, 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 this was God's Word to me? Come on, don't allow time to, to, to erode away the faith that you once had that God had spoken to you, but begin to reignite that flame. Begin to prepare and make preparations and paint the bedroom and build the cot and get the bedroom sign and buy the suit and ask the girl out. Just begin to do whatever you need to do to prepare for the thing that God put in your heart to be able to do. Come on, that's true for this church. Some of you think this is an amazing church. This is nothing yet. The kids' facility in 10 years from now will make this look like a really tiny little coop. You gotta begin to prepare for that. But then you've gotta hold nothing back. You gotta fully give yourself to it. Would you stand to your feet today? I'd love to pray for you. Lord, I thank you today for every single person who's in this room. God, dearly loved by you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would right now begin to move in this room. Holy Spirit, begin to speak to people's hearts. Begin to reignite dreams and promises that Lord, we wouldn't settle down. God, we wouldn't stop. But God, we would see you stand. That God, we would see your faithfulness displayed in our lives. That God, you would show yourself strong and mighty and victorious. Lord, we thank You for what You have done, but God, we're not settling there. God, we wanna see what You're doing right now. We're not gonna settle for pretty good. We wanna see the best it's ever been. Lord, I thank You for that today. In Jesus' mighty Name, God, move in people's hearts, move in their lives. 
Lord, take over from the end of this message. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.